uh, podcast is at hand. It's uh, Bob McCowan. It's John Shannon. And uh, we uh, bid you uh, greetings and salutations in advance of the, uh, the upcoming weekend. Not that you're going to be doing anything. There's nothing to do and nowhere to go. And uh, for those reasons, as many as any others, um, look who we've dragged into this podcast. Uh, the former program director of uh, you can't, the you can't you can't Toronto. look you can't look on Spotify or Apple uh, Apple I, iPods. You can't you can't do that, Bob. You have to listen. We have to teach you all the time. Oh my God! Well, then watch. Um, it's on YouTube. You can see it. We're doing it. Why, why do we do this? with video if nobody Just else is we, you like to see you like to see our pretty faces so you know what i've been out of the business for a while but nothing's changed not a damn you thing guys in you. my office you two guys in my office <laughs> it was no different than this you hey so have you introduced him yet no, have you introduced him yet no, it's nelson millman the uh, ex-program director of uh, the fan in toronto <laughs> weren't you a vice president Weren't you a I vice was, president? I was once? a general manager and a vice president and wow. shoes repaired while you wait. Yeah, that's about wow. it. <laughs> and the only reason we came into the office, your office, was because um, the company and you were too cheap to give us offices of our own. It was the only way I could see it, Robert. Well, because otherwise you could, you'd, you'd fly into, into a little room, uh, you'd sit and stew by yourself for a while. And then you just yeah. go on the air. So I needed you in my office just to piss you off. He did well, those hours of hours of preparation, Nelson. He did those hours of preparation in the office. Always preparing, John. He was always preparing. Always preparing. That's right. Every either that or either that or either that or exercising. He was either preparing or exercising. Never saw him exercise. Oh, I did. I saw him every day uh, at at three forty-five. The kettle. Every day, every day at 345, John. I gotta go exercise. exercise. I gotta go exercise. That's now, right. in fairness, Bob and I did have some of our best meetings standing outside smoking darts. Yeah. We got some we oh, actually got work done there. Susie does not want to know that you were smoking cigarettes. All right. Can we can we get to the subject here rather than just slagging you? Nelson is the subject. Nelson is the subject. <laughs> not really. No, no, oh, not, not at all. No, not at oh. all. Um, as I used to say, in lieu of alternate programming, Nelson Millman is here. Now, I did send John a note last night that said, okay. That's right. Who canceled? For... <laughs> Nobody, but it's okay. Well, Look, I I grabbed I grabbed the phone. I went down the list, and your name came up. That's what happened, you know. And I went, "Oh Christ, what can I talk to him about?" Yeah, and it was the first <laughs> phone rang in a month. Look, he got uh, he, he got through the L's. Everybody said no. We we haven't had this conversation to the best of my recollection, but uh, let's uh, let's reminisce a little bit. The fan launched in the fall of 1992, September fourth. And um, it was an idea that had been kind of kicking around for a while. We'd gone to basically all sports at night with the radio station. And were we playing country music or what, what the hell were we doing during the day? Uh, in, music uh, of your life, wasn't it? Music of your life, wasn't uh, it? When was it? I got there in March of 92, uh, it, was, uh, it was a bunch of uh, adult contemporary music, for lack of a better word. 
um, with the uh, with the sports, you know, the Leafs had the Jays had Bob, um, um, among other things, and um, through uh, leading up to that, uh, we had been through all the different formats, Bob. But it was music of your life, then and okay. then flipped to yeah, and everything else had failed, and so yes, um, it was not unreasonable to embark on this journey that no other radio station in Canada had embarked upon and only a handful if I remember correctly had done so in the U.S. and that was the concept of all sports radio and it started with a bang but probably started with a bang that was um, unsustainable because what happened that year was the Toronto Blue Jays were about to go to their first World Series and win it and the Toronto Maple Leafs started their regular season, if I remember correctly, I think ten and zero, mm-hmm. and went uh, to the went to the semis. Uh, so um, some things happened that could not possibly have been anticipated, and quite frankly, bolstered the ratings significantly um, at that time. Did it lead to a false sense of accomplishment uh, for you or on the part of management in general? You know, I think we all recognize that a new format was, you know, it takes five years to get a format to establish. We got that huge boost out of the gate. Did it? Yeah, it probably did. Um, Because 92, 93 were obviously very similar. Um, While we had the ratings, the revenues still hadn't started to come because there was, you know, is this going to be around? Will will advertisers invest? So there was there was some time in there that uh, that the revenues probably weren't matching what the ratings were. Right. Um, but yeah, and then uh, we got the big kaboom going into '94. So we have two successful years. Yeah. And you go into a now, baseball, baseball walk with you... a hockey striker the other way around. So, so um, you're talking about revenues. Would Blue Jays have made? You paid a lot of money, or, or Telemedia paid a lot of money for Blue Jay radio rights at that point, I believe. Would you have made money on Jays? Yeah, well, see, there was two divisions. There was the radio station and then the network. And the network oversaw all of the syndicated programming, Blue Jays, um, Leafs, primetime yeah. sports. So the, the network was paying the expenses, but they were generating a ton, a ton of revenue against the against the properties at that point. And the rates fees weren't nearly as onerous as, uh, as they became later in the 90s. Um, so, so the, the radio station would make some nickels and dimes, uh, on the play-by-play properties, but the network was, was grabbing a good chunk of money. So you take over as program director when? Uh, late 90, early 95. So I'd been the executive producer. I was the PD at the network when we shut down the network and amalgamated with the radio station, um, uh, Alan Davis left, Bob Mackwitz came in, um, and I became the executive producer, and then, and then Bob left in uh, early 95. See, that, that, that's, when, that's when you and I met, Nelly. Uh, I was running CTV's Olympics at that right. point, and uh, I remember sitting uh, in a restaurant not far from Holly Street, um, and we were negotiating a deal for uh, TV, radio coverage of our TV. Uh, Sukataya was with us, Gordash's right. um, wife. Uh, and I, I think Alan was there the first time we met. And we did a deal that uh, you guys got content 
every hour on the hour for 16 hours a day from Lillehammer, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, so all of those things, you know, and as we started to come out of that 94 period, um, there was lots of talk about this, and you know this, Bob, about just shutting the station off. I mean, we had no sports, we had no revenue. Um, there were a couple of, uh, there was a change in terms of the, uh, the general manager and God bless him. Uh, you know, Doug Ackhurst, our old, our old buddy, Doug Ackhurst said, well, I, I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to start with sports updates every 15 minutes. And so we became a utility while we had no play by play and guys were trying right. to generate content. Um, and, and as sports came back, that utility became so ingrained in the radio station that it, 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 it helped build the brand. Um, I don't want, I mean, we weren't, we could be here for hours if we yeah. go through this chronologically to yeah. everything that happened, but uh, suffice to say that the fan was, well, for a long time, the only all sports radio station in Canada, mm -hmm. and then ultimately became the number one all sports station in Canada. And, um, uh, there were lots of ups and downs and backs and forths, but um, it was a pretty dominant format within the genre. I think we would all agree that there really wasn't any competition until um, Chum decided to launch the team. And I think that kind of made us all kind of perk up because now there was some real competition and we knew that, you know, Alan Waters and Chum had deep pockets and were probably pretty committed to this and we're going to come after us and took some of our people too. Um, what was that period like? Was there great concern within the company in your mind as uh, to how you battle this um, enemy? No, I think the advantage we had was uh, we were in first. The advantage we had was we had, you know, we were defending the hill. They were going to have to spend a ton more money uh, on marketing, advertising, uh, presenters, broadcasters, backup, if they were going to be able to, to climb the hill against us. So we just kind of tightened down, you know, the business model. Um, we made sure that our key talent was in place. Um, we made sure we had our marketing and, and promotional positioning proper, which was at that time, we're Toronto sports radio station. And, and I think you're always concerned, but you have, you know, uh, on the realistic side of things, it was like, okay, we just need to keep doing what we're doing, get better at it but we don't need to ch effectively change what we're doing at this point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why do you think, I know, I know this is hypothetical, but why do you think that Chum came after the fan? Given, do you think it was because they were, they didn't know what to do with um, an AM signal with music dying on AM? Yep. Did they, foresee, did they see us as vulnerable or were they chasing the fan because of the success it had i think there were a couple of, there's a couple of things there um there were people that that were with telemedia slash um what became rogers um 
the, the Blue Jays' rights and the Leaf rights were no longer on the fan. They had moved. You had the, uh, uh, the Leafs over on 640, I believe, and, and you had mm-hmm. the, the Blue Jays on, uh, on what became, well, it was Chum at the time. Um, so they were running music during the day and, and airing the Blue Jays at night. So they probably thought we were vulnerable without play-by-play. But we had been without play-by-play for two years before that. And frankly, the radio station, in some ways, got be- a lot of ways, got better. Mm. So I, I, Do you need play-by-play? Do you need play-by-play, Nelson? You know, I think play-by-play now is, you know, I, I think you need to have it for the imaging, some of the inside information, although, you know, given Rogers actually... You can't be as critical. You can't be as critical. I mean, you, you lo- if you look across the country... Uh, there's two all sports stations in Vancouver. Uh, the one, uh, the one was basically invented to carry the Canuck games. Um, and, and, and the other one has thrived. Uh, the TSN station has thrived and the TSN station is much more critical. Uh, and it has a much larger following and, and the, and the other, the other station has the games. I'm not sure we got a lot more critical, Bob, you, you know, you would have as good a sense after we lost the rights than we did before we had the rights? Well, I can only speak for myself. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think... General, we... In a general sense, Nelson, I, I think I think John's um, providing a typical opinion of what a host broadcaster does when he when they have the rights. But it didn't. Yeah. I don't think it ever applied to the fan. I don't think the no, fan... No, I don't think... It, I, Bob, Bob, respectfully, I don't think it applied to you. No, John. I think it... I was, I th- I I think was it, sitting uh, in the chair, John... I, I never told people don't change, you know, don't be critical of the team. If you don't call it like it is, all we had was our credibility. We had great mm-hmm. entertaining hosts, but all, but without credibility, you have nothing. Have things changed? Absolutely. Things. Have well, well, no, but that's, I was going to say that we're, we're, we're talking about, you know, a generation ago now. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, in, 20, in, 20, in 2021, in 2021, the world is a much different situation when it comes to who you view as, and there's a giant difference between a rights holder and a business partner. Uh, and and know, that, I, that has changed that. I always thought the name of the station was the fan. And if mm-hmm. we didn't represent what they expected us to represent, then they weren't going to stay with us. We had to, we yeah. were their voice for a very, whether we had the rights or not. Now, granted, I've been out of there 11 years and the, and the, and the business proposition has changed. And yeah, there's probably, uh, I'm not a huge listener anymore, so I can't tell you what, what that content is like. Is there a place for an all sports station in the market? Is it, is, is it now, a third Just as regular as no no i'm talking about i'm talking about it, it, are are there guys that at, i mean there's a, there's two all sports stations in vancouver and two here and there's a few across the country and the question becomes the guy sitting in the corner office saying is this format really sustainable is it making margins is it doing the right thing is there enough of an audience to it i i, I think it's a fair question yes I think there's always going to be room for radio. Radio, obviously, the, the, the audience is fragmented, but the benefit of radio is a, a listener attaches, uh, you know, to, a, to somebody like Bob, they're passionate. 
They have an emotional connection. It's interactive. It's local. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, I'm not, you know, podcasts are great. This kind of show is great. It provides another level of, uh, of entertainment. But it always comes back to if a guy, a guy, if a person's sitting in their car on their way to work, and times are different oh, now, oh. we understand so, that. Yeah, then that's the key. If they're right being, now. if they're being entertained by the people on the air, they're going to listen. Yeah. They'll still have yeah. room for their podcasts and everything else, but it still comes down to presentation. There's 15 billion podcasts out there. Which ones do you listen to? The ones that entertain you. One of the things that. Um people may not recognize about you is uh, you made very few changes in talent. Um, And I I, I suppose, I'm interested in your response to that, but um, I suppose some of it was because you, you had success. And so, you know, if it's not broken, don't fix it. But you also had a commitment to the talent. And when you left, yeah, there became a revolving door of talent at the fan in all time slots, particularly the morning show. And then later on, as John and I can attest, and you're well aware, with us too. You're not there uh, What? What? No, we Seriously, uh, Nelson's not listening, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, How can we miss you when you won't go away? Well, was that philosophical? Yes, it was. Okay, so explain. Um, my first, you know, I always said I'd like to hire good people and let them do their jobs. Can they advance? Is there potential? Where? And, and not to mention that the audience develops habits in the morning show, in afternoon drive. It's all about habits. If you're if you're continually asking them to change their habit, I think that's that's dangerous. I also believe, as you said, we had success. We had good people. Morning Drive was, you know, was fairly consistent for for a long time. We had, you know, with with with, um, uh, with Don and with with Pat Marsden and and then Gort. So our talent had been there for our broadcasters had been there for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I liked what I had on the air. And, you know, I, I would, my, my snipe, you know, my snarky response would be, I was too freaking lazy to change anything. But I had a commitment to the people I hired. I, I protected them when I needed to. I corrected when I needed to. And we had the success. I mean, there's, there's something to be said for the same thing uh, uh, yeah, in, that, ha- in that habitual nature. Listen, Nelson, as a guy who has sat in similar chairs, there's one word uh, that does not truly exist uh, in a broadcast executive lexicon anymore. Uh, and, and my friends, if they're watching or listening, will know the word I'm going to say. And that's loyalty. Absolutely. There is no, there, there is no loyalty anymore. Um, and we can sit here and be old guys, you know, geezers saying, get off my grass. And, 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 you know, it's not like it used to be, but the reality is, is that there's no patience and no loyalty anymore because it, because of the instant nature of feedback, because and, and, of you know, social thing... media, because of everything that says we don't like it. It's got to be changed. I, I know. And, and I'm not sure what I would have done in a social media era. What I, what I do know is that, 
um, you have to give people what they expect to get. Um, you know, I've often said if Twitter was as prevalent now as it was when I was programming the radio station, I'm not sure it would have lasted a week. Only because of my, you know, I hold on. I, you going, made me. You made me go on Twitter. Yeah, but there were only three you people using me. it at the time. You made me. You made me. You said, John, you you have to have a Twitter account. I said, I don't want a Twitter account. He said, Not. Yeah. Well. To. Yeah. How many tweets have you sent out? I'd say ten me? billion. Yeah. You, John. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Know, obvious. Know. Obviously, you've um um attached yourself to that. No, I'm no. blaming Nelson. I'm the other thing skills. is, Bob, when we started the radio station, keep in mind, we were a small company. When I say small, they had 50 radio stations, TV guide. So there was a more, I believe, you know, and I, I often say I got I probably got too close to people to properly manage, but yep. we had a bit of a family, right? We yeah, we it was. And it was pretty together. much all in the same building, although we had, you know, the, the, the owners were in Montreal most of the time, but you but got let to know us, everybody. Let us do our jobs. And even after the transition to Rogers for a long time in there, they let us do our jobs. Yeah, because they really didn't know what they were doing. And as things as things evolved in the in the upper echelons, the you know I always said radio is a medium and TV is a large. Um, we we probably didn't have the same level of corporate support, even as we did it with a small company who kept saying you have to save 50 bucks. Well, I would say to you, and um, I, I hope you'll be honest about this, that perhaps, well, one of the worst things that happened to the fan was not necessarily the purchase of Rogers, but Rogers acquisition of Sportsnet from CTV and the mandate that somehow, um, the fan should be the little brother to Sportsnet and feed that animal. And the reason was that the fan had been successful and Sportsnet, quite frankly, had not been successful. And they were looking for a way to make it successful. I've often quoted you on um, a line that you used repeatedly during our time together. And that is, and I'll let you finish it, radio is a medium. But TV is a large. TV is a large. And the large started telling the medium what to do and how to do it and to feed the animal. Give me your response to that. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a fair assessment. Listen, the, the additional promotional value we got from, you know, having the fan logo on TV and some very small kind of infinitely small your show those kinds of things i mean at the end of the day it's kind of it became less expensive programming but um yeah i think i think you know the the radio station certainly moved to the you know a, a little bit further down on in the pecking order and when you look at the ebitda and you look at the margins you understand i from a business point of view i kind of get it but I wasn't a business guy, even though I was an executive, I was the worst executive ever because I actually cared about what was coming out of the little box and put my, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, 
you know, I, I, I made a move because I thought, well, maybe I can help the radio station, but it absolutely changed as, as the Sportsnet influence got bigger. Would it be fair to say that there was internal confrontation between Sportsnet and the fan? And I mean, from the standpoint of in, uh, uh, within the offices, and most importantly, within the executive offices of Sportsnet. Well, I wasn't known for a lot of non-passionate conversations. Mm -hmm. And there were some very passionate conversations. And, you know, you have to kind of pick your, pick the, the hills you want to die on. That's right. Uh, I think, I think I won some, some of the big battles, but I, you know, at the end of the day, you're not going to win that war. So there was certainly, you know, I, I'm not sure who else on the radio side above me was putting up the, and this is not me patting myself, putting up a fight to try to protect our, our territory. Um, I'm a little like, you know, my, my, my little dog here, don't go near his bone. Um, and at the end of the day, as I look back now from 10 years beyond, I think if I'd been more conciliatory, if, 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 if John hadn't been such a guy in the truck, would he still be in television? I don't know. Um, but there were some very passionate conversations. <laughs> Sorry, hey, but but let, but let's let's face it. Uh, I mean, the fan was bought for by Rogers for one thing: brand extension. It, it wasn't bought for content; it was bought for brand extension. I um, think it was bought because yeah, and, otherwise it would have gone to the to somebody else. Telemedia was breaking. Yeah. breaking. Well, and remember, you know, what you have to remember too is that the fan was not bought as a standalone. It was bought along with, I believe, eleven or twelve other radio stations. Yeah, more. For an amount that was quite staggering, and yeah, I remember Radio bought the whole thing and then uh, sold pieces back to mm. Rogers. Yeah, right. Yeah. For a staggering. Hey, I, I, you know, we, what, what's the toughest radio market in the country? Is it Toronto? Is it Vancouver? Is Vancouver a tougher radio market than? No, it, than Toronto, Toronto is just by nature of its, you know, how much money it is, is spent in advertising dollars here, the number of radio stations. You know, this is um, this is a tougher market. I, I think I, I spent 15 years in Vancouver. You know, everything's right. smaller. You know, the, the revenue's smaller. The expenses are smaller. Um, yeah, Toronto is. But the you, you know the role of radio wasn't different in Vancouver than it was in Toronto. Like like let's face it. When you know at the time, I mean CKNW was the station in Vancouver when you were there. CFRB was the station. In Toronto, when you came back, they had a lot of power. They had a lot of power in the market, a lot of influence. Talk radio stations and talk stations in um, in Vancouver, I think, generate you know more tuning per capita than the talk stations here do. Right. Yeah. I guess it's that was a, kind of my point. I, I, I think radio talk. plays it. I think radio plays a different role in Vancouver. I really do. Yeah, maybe it's it because it's still much smaller of a, of, a, of a city. One of the things that happened that is, um, I'm really intrigued by your perspective of this because it happened, I believe, after you left, but correct me if I'm wrong. So primetime sports had become this uh, juggernaut, if you will, um, number one show in the country for 31 consecutive years. Um, 
I don't think there were any thoughts or plans of making it disappear. And in the midst of this, um, a decision was made to bring uh, Tim and Sid over from the score. I guess it happened when Rogers bought the, um, what became 360, right? Yeah, Yeah, they they bought the score. And and then Tim and Sid went on the radio and and were on before me. Mm -hmm. And then a decision was made to put them on television opposite primetime. And my perspective on it, and look, I, you know, it's easy for me to sit here and, and not understand something when it relates to me, but I'm really intrigued by your perspective. I always viewed that as cannibalism and I could not understand, neither could I get um, an explanation from management on the few times that I asked as to why you would do that. Why would you take whatever audience primetime generated and essentially invite the public to decide which of the two they would prefer? Give me your take on that. I think there's a couple of, you know, I don't think you, okay, let me start again here. Can we edit that out? No. No. From the business side, the the corporate structure doesn't care where the numbers come from, okay? So they sell it on tonnage. We're not out there selling individual shows. We're selling we're selling this as tonnage. So whether it's cannibalized or not, if they think that they're going to generate more tuning coming in than what's coming from your show, for in this example, then it all gets aggregated, and that's what they go. And that's what they go out and sell. That's number one. Number two, I think you know. And I don't know that you and I have even ever talked about this. I used to think to myself, what happens after Bob? Where do we go? Not knowing you were going to hang around, you know, till the bitter end. No. Um, uh... Well, they made the decision, not me. No, they made the decision. And, And so you have to start thinking about that long term. This isn't the way I would have looked at it, but... You know, I, I wasn't there. So are you, are, is your suggestion here that they put Tim and Sid in those spots as a, a precursor to replacing me? I think that's a very distinct possibility, not to mention hoping they can, they can drag some additional tuning into one of the other networks. They have 12 or 14 of them at this point and, uh, and, and can continue to aggregate those numbers so that you have something bigger to go out and, I I think there's a perception too that Tim and Sid would draw a younger audience. And I think there's always a concern about, about demographics, right? You talk about tonnage. There's also, there's also, you know, 24 to 54, 18 to 24, 24 to 36. I mean, there's always that thing that it's going to be driven by sales and revenue and not by um, worrying about what the content is. And that, that's not a knock at Tim and Sid. It's just a, it's a different philosophy. And All right. Well, so let me ask, a, let me ask a pertinent question in response to what John just said. Was it your perception that primetime's audience was too old? Uh, no. I, I think, uh, you know, I've got to go back again. We're going back some years. You know, I get me, it. 
the median age of the audience was 45. Um, yeah. 60 to 70% of the audience made 100K a year or more. Um, we battled for 18 to 34 year olds over and over and over. We'd bang our head, heads against the wall between the way the system, the, the rating system works and the way 18 to 34 year old people work. Not sure we ever in the 20 years I was there got an accurate <laughs> representation of. Well, in my uh, mind, Nelson, I don't know whether you agree, but in my mind, that would be as futile an exercise as targeting to women with an all sports radio station. I completely agree. Like, what but, is the point? But, you can't get them. You can't no, get them. But, you're on, you have so, a signal. So, on so, but that becomes. Trial. That, that well, it's it's not necessarily the content; it's the delivery and how people how people listen. Now, Ron, I mean, and that's Ron, where that's where that's where podcast that's where pe people are downloading podcasts. People are wrong. doing it for the subway. They're, I'm not wrong. Yo, not you wrong. are. As you long are. as as long as there are AM radios being put into cars, stations like the Fan and 680 News. Will continue. The first thing I do when I check a new car is do I have CarPlay? Do I have CarPlay? Can I get CarPlay? No, I you know what? Because I want I want to I want to I want to listen to what I want to listen to, and, and and rather than somebody programming for me, I can program for myself. And that's I completely, the reality I completely of it. get that, and that's what. And so it comes back to if you're being entertained by the people on your AM dial, John, you're going to spend more time listening to them than to the podcasts no, if, when you're in your car. Yeah, and well, and, and, and obviously in the last, uh, since, since the middle of March, we haven't been in our cars. So that's, and, uh, that's and, the and that's, other issue. And you know, the one thing that will generate a ton of tuning, winning teams. Well, yeah. But that goes, but no, 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 winning teams even without the games on the air? Winning teams even without the games on the air. Okay. Yeah. Okay. People at that, when, when the Leafs, if the Leafs ever get past the first round, the Blue Jays, you know, get into the playoffs. The Raptors, I think, are probably a perfect example. People can't read enough, hear enough, or see enough. And the radio brings it to you in real time. Not that you're going in sure. your house and turning on the radio. If you're in your car, you're going to be listening. Yeah. In those no, no, Bob, you, Bob Nelson's changed his tune on the Raptors because I Nelson and I did a deal for Raptors Radio one year <laughs> when I was at MLSC and Nelson was running the radio station. I had to buy the airtime. I had to buy the yeah. airtime for the Raptors. Well, because that's what it was worth, that, John. Not, not, John, not that's not what it was I had worth. To buy the air, not only did I have to buy the airtime, I also had to buy those darn uh, seat covers. I had to give Nelson those darn yeah. seat covers for the yeah. first three rows at, at courtside. You got and what it was worth. Seats. You got what it was worth at the time. <laughs> it and the, rate, the, and the ratings part. proved it. Yeah. The, oh, there, were, there, were, there were flies watching and listening to Raptors basketball in those early days. This country this wasn't been, early. Well, <laughs> whenever it was. For until this team um until DeRozan arrived and they went through that run of success was when the thing started to pick up. But even then, very slowly, it really wasn't until playoff time that the Raptors showed anything, anything. I mean, you could count on one hand the number of times the TV had a million uh, listeners, uh, viewers for a Raptors game. 
Oh, and yeah. more often than not, it was 150,000. And that's. So I was happy to take your money, John, just so you know. Thank you. Well, but the good news is, is that, uh, you know, between the two of us, we got Paul Jones and Eric Smith on the air together and they're still together. All right. And here's what I, here's what I would like to do. We have barely scratched the surface on this and uh, time is our enemy. So what no, I'd yours. like to do yours. is have you come back, Nelson, and we will do part two of this. And, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying this because we pre-designed this, but there's a lot more to talk about here. And obviously the three of us are impassioned by this. So will you come back? Maybe. Absolutely. All right. Maybe. What even else, what else does he have to I, do? I got nothing else to do. And all <laughs> what do, do, we? do, he have to do? Yeah, I neither do you guys. And listen, yeah. I want you to know between the three of us, there's about 160 years of broadcasting experience. <laughs> Not quite. Three good by ones. the way, by the way, Nelson's going to go find now, now Nelson's gonna now go to go figure out how to download a podcast. So it's gonna be great. No, no, I can I, I can podcast. I've gone on that on the YouTube. I, I once uh I once Oh the did, YouTube. I once you did think the, the Facebook's here to stay too. You guys know you both know more than I do. I have no idea how this works or why this works, but um oh god. I'm not anyway, sure why it works. Though. Somehow it does. It's, you know what, uh, at the end of the day, it's nice to see you guys. John, you and I played some golf, uh, a little bit of golf this summer. Bob, I didn't get the invite, maybe next year. Yeah, when the uh, quid pro quo comes, uh, both of you will be invited back. I'm still waiting for that, you know. The, I, I can't even say quid pro quo. No, I, and, it's, and clearly you're going to have to look it up too. Well, I, I believe you can get impeached for one of those. Uh, Nelly Belly, we love you, and uh, we're going to go again very soon. All right? all right, and pick up where we left off. Love it. Uh, oh. There's Nelson Millman, the former program director of uh, the Fan for uh, John Shannon, and for Nelson Bob McCowan. Have yourselves a lovely weekend. We'll uh, catch you on Monday. Goodbye. Bye.